0: church. So I, I know on the, uh, the card that you were just given an opportunity to fill out, there wasn't a space for any of those feats that you just saw on the screen. But if you can do any of those, please come let me know, because those are things that I, I like to know. Uh, besides that, I want to just start our time together praying, uh, and, and partly because it, it's been less than a week uh, since, once again, news broke. Uh, that, that our country has been been hit with another tragedy. Right? And, and this one in Las Vegas with the shooting, that that uh, is one of those things that that that, that we all feel, partly because it, it's been happening uh, way too often, uh, and partly because the, the victims of this tragedy are, are from all across the U.S. And so many people, some of you may have a family or friends who were affected by this tragedy, and... And it's another reminder that we live in a broken world uh, and that our world is fallen and needs Jesus. And so I just want to start our time together just praying uh, for our country, uh, for the, the victims and their families, and just uh, in general for, for the people who are affected by this, for the, the friends uh, and the people who we know that maybe we're trying to comfort people who are grieving because of their loss. So would you just join me as we pray together? Father, we, we come to you uh, in the wake of this tragedy, and it has been almost a week, and, and, uh, and, and many new things are, are popping up on our plate and, and in our minds, and yet, uh, once again, we're just uh, in, in shock as we see the devastation that is caused uh, by this shooter in Las Vegas. And we see the loss of life, and we see the hurt and the pain. Uh, and maybe some of us uh, are feeling that because we know people who are uh, at risk or who, people who live uh, nearby and, and the the fear of wondering if people are okay or knowing people who have lost loved ones. And God, we just pray that uh, that as you are able, that you would just use uh, this tragedy for your glory in some way. That you would, out of this, uh, out of the, the evil that occurred, out of the hurt, that you would bring new life. And so God, we just pray that you would uh, you would comfort those uh, who are hurting. Uh, whether physically healing or whether it's uh, those who are grieving loss or those who are who are dealing with the trauma and the fear. Uh, God, we just pray that you would be at work and that you would uh, that you would heal and restore Jesus, we pray for our time together, that as we open your word, that you would teach us, and you would show yourself to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. So we're in the midst of this series on uh, heroes of the faith, and we've been taking a look at Hebrews chapter 11, and we've been uh, looking at the those people who are mentioned in that chapter and looking at their lives, looking at their stories and and as examples of faith. And at the very end of that chapter, in verse 32, we read about our example uh, for today. So if you wanted to turn with me to page 297, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32, and it says this, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, Hiding in caves and holes in the ground. So who are we talking about tonight? Let me, let me read the start of that verse 32 again. It says, it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon. Well, we have time. So we're going to look at the story of Gideon. And we're going to look at Gideon as an example of what I like to call a reluctant faith. And so as we look at that story, feel free to follow along. And Gideon's story is found in Judges chapter 6 and 7. And that's on page 192 of the Chair Bible, if you'd like to turn there. But in order to pick up the story of Gideon, we have to, we have to place ourselves in, in the middle of that story, in history. And what has happened and what's going on. And so really quickly, I want to cover the couple hundred years that happened from the flood, where we've just been talking about Noah. Uh, all the way up to where Gideon is. And over the next couple of months, Pastor Matt's going to go back and fill in the holes. And we'll talk about some of those stories in, in detail. But for this weekend, we've got to move quickly. All right, so here we go. Abraham, is called by God, becomes the father of a nation. He has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, who gets his name changed to Israel. He has a bunch of sons, one of whom's Joseph. All the family moves to Egypt. The family grows, grows, becomes enslaved Moses leads them out of Egypt. Joshua leads them into the promised land. They don't ever fully kick out the bad guys in the land. And then a bunch of judges, one of whom's Gideon, take turn leading the people of Israel before Saul becomes the first king. Alright, so there's the history. We'll fill it all in later, but that's where we are. So Gideon, the the, the the people of Israel have taken the land, although they never fully kicked out all the inhabitants that God had told them to. Uh, kick out and they're they're living in the promised land. And as we look at this story of Gideon, uh, Gideon often gets a bad rap. Right? He doesn't get uh, often shown up as a hero and partly because of of his reluctant faith. Uh, and he also is, is kind of famous for questioning God. And oftentimes, if you if you start to read about Gideon, a lot of people portray Gideon as a coward or as a scaredy cat or somebody who's fearful. But I think there's a lot more to this story. And, and clearly there's something about his faith uh, that got him mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, right? Even though they say oh, all these people, he's still, even though it's in the list of names, Gideon's name gets mentioned as an example of faith. And so I want to look at that story Because I think there are some very important lessons for us to learn about faith. What does it mean to live by faith? And I think Gideon's an example for us to follow. So as our story starts, the Israelites are in the Promised Land, but they're under the rule of of Midian. In the beginning of chapter 6, verse 2 says that the Midianites were so cruel that all the Israelites had been reduced to hiding in caves. And hiding in the mountains and just living in hiding because of just the cruelty and the oppression of the Midianites. And the Midianites would come in and raid, and it, they just were stealing food and destroying crops. And so the Israelites were just living in hiding, living fearful. And that's where our story starts. So, as we see this desperate situation that the people of Israel are under, this is where Gideon. Begins, the story of Gideon. So uh, turn with me to chapter six of Judges, and I want to take a look at, at Gideon's unlikely calling. So starting in verse 11, let me read uh, part of this story. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, "Mighty hero, the Lord is with you." And Gideon's response is like, I, I, "I'm sure." Part of Gideon's first response, is I, I picture that, is he's hiding in this wine press threshing wheat. The angel of the Lord appears to him and says, "Mighty hero." That Gideon's first response was to look over his shoulder to see what mighty hero was standing behind him. Couldn't be me that, that, that this person's talking. I'm, I'm not a mighty hero. And he in there, he, he, he brings out, he's like, well, how can I be a mighty hero? All, all of us, if, if God is good and is with us, then how come all this bad stuff's happening? And after his reply, the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. You see, God sought Gideon out and called him mighty hero. And, and as Gideon replies, he's, he, he, he can't picture himself as a mighty hero because that's not who he sees himself as. Right? He goes on. His reply to God, or his reply is, I'm from the smallest tribe in Israel. I'm from, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. We're, we're the least. And even out of Manasseh, my family is, is the least of all the people in Manasseh. And out of my family, I'm the youngest. Right? And In the patriarchal society that that was, basically what Gideon's reply is, I'm not a mighty hero. I am Mr. Nobody from Nowhereville. Like, I'm not the leader you're looking for. Now before we get going here in this story, I can't skip over this point. Because there's this awesome truth embedded in the story of Gideon and it's this, that, that God called Gideon how God saw Gideon, not how Gideon saw himself. Gideon's hiding in a wine press, threshing the wheat so that the Midianites don't steal it. And as soon as he's called my he starts giving all the reasons why he's not. And yet God calls Gideon how he sees him. So. And that's the way God works with us, right? He knows us. He loves us because he made us. And we're precious to him. If you're doubting your worth or you're beating yourself about anything, then, then I, I think that maybe it's time you look to God's word to understand how God sees you. Because you are precious to him. Okay, back to the story. All right, God, so God calls Gideon. All right, Mr. Nobody from Nowhereville. And he commissions him with this monumental task. God tells him, I, you're going to rescue the people of Israel from Midian. That's not a, a small feat, right? Remember, all of Israel scattered hiding because Midian was so cruel. Verse 14, he said, go with the strength you have Rescue Israel from the Midianites. And God reminds him, or Gideon's response says, he reminds him of his position. Again, I'm nobody. God's given him this monumental task. Go rescue the people of Israel from Midian. And Gideon's response is like, wait just a second, remember, I'm nobody. I don't have the power, I don't have the ability to do this. But God reminds him. And and after Gideon gives his first excuse, God's reply to him in verse 16, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites. He echoes that that challenge. Here's what I'm calling you to do. Defeat Midian and I will be with you. Is he right from the start? There's these two great promises. As God commissions and calls Gideon to this monumental task, he gives him these two incredible promises. First off, I am sending you. Right? The, the Blues brothers stole this from Gideon. Right, the blue, Gideon was the one who said, I'm on a mission from God. God commissioned him and sent him on this mission. Right? What, what a better position to be in. Like I'm, I've been given authority. I've been given this calling by God to go do this. And secondly, not only was he called and, and commissioned by God, but secondly, God's promise, I will be with you. Gideon wasn't going alone. He was being sent by God. And God's promise was, I will be with you. And Jesus repeats that same promise to us. As he's leaving this as he's leaving this earth, after he has uh, risen from the dead, the, the, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, 20 says, therefore go. right." He sent us. And make disciples of all nations. And he follows up with this, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have been given a task, just like Gideon, and that incredible promise, I will be with you. So not only was Gideon given this monumental task, but these two great promises to, to cling to. I'm sending you, and I will be with you. So as 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 Gideon's given this task, so God doesn't hide from him the scary fact that I've just now commissioned you to go and take out the Midianites, right? This is a this is a monumental, hard task. God didn't sugarcoat it, didn't hide it from him. Okay. Midian was scary, right? There's a reason all the Israelites are hiding. But God calls him to it. So what's Gideon's response? I've already given you my argument. God's, God, again, re- reminds him, no, you are going to go with the strength you have, and I will be with you, and you will defeat Midian. So Gideon, like all of us would, I need proof, right? I need proof. And in verses 19 through 24, Gideon then says, well, here, wait here. Uh, and he goes and he, and he makes a meal, and he brings it back. And he sets it down. And what's God's response to this this test, right? Show me that if you really are, if God is sending me, prove it. Well, the angel of of the Lord tells him to put the meal down and soak it in gravy. And then the meal bursts into flames and is burned up. And right from the beginning, as Gideon is doubting this calling, God proves himself to Gideon. That I am God. So from the very beginning, there is no doubt, right? God's called me. He said he's going to be with me. And he proved himself to me. Right? This, God did a miracle in front of my eyes to show me that he has the strength. He has the power. And he's sending me. Now remember, as we move on in the story, we're talking about Gideon as a man of faith. But as, as we go through the rest of the story, we're not going to hear about faith. We're, we're going to see Gideon's obedience. And again, that's the way it works, right? Our, our faith is demonstrated in our actions. Our, our obedience to God is how we live out our faith. And so Gideon acted out his faith step by step in obedience. Now what I want to do is we continue to just examine these steps of obedience. Because I think as we as we understand these steps of obedience, we get a picture of Gideon's faith. Even though it was reluctant, we see his faith. So the first step of obedience. And this comes starting in verse 25 of, of Judges chapter 6. Let me read this story. That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop. Laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and he did as the Lord commanded But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar to Baal had been broken down and the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon the son of of Joash, so basically the first step of obedience that Gideon is given is get your house in order. Right in the middle of your father's house, there's this altar to Baal and there's this Asherah pole. Tear them down, and build an altar to me and, and offer a sacrifice to me. Before you go and, and lead and do the things I've called you to, make sure that things are right at home. Tear down the pagan altar and worship me. And Gideon obeys. But again, he he obeys at night under the cover of darkness. And why? Because he was afraid of the members of his father's household and the people in the town. And then after obeying and after doing what he's told to do in the morning when light comes, it's it's like he's nowhere to be found. He's off hiding somewhere. It wasn't until after a careful search and investigation, asking around, they figure out who did this. It was Gideon. And again, I think oftentimes people draw attention to his fear, right? Because he was afraid the Bible says that Gideon was afraid. He was afraid of his family, and he was afraid of the people in town, so that's why he acted at night. He obeyed at night in secret. But he obeyed. Right? Wait, didn't didn't you just Meet the angel of the Lord. and Didn't he do a miracle right in front of you? Weren't you commissioned by God? You're on a mission from God. right? He tells you to do something. You wait until darkness to kind of sneak and do it. Right? We want to beat Gideon up about it. But, but this fear that Gideon had wasn't a surprise to God. Right? God picked him. God knew who he was getting when he called Gideon. It didn't catch God by surprise that Gideon was fearful. And what we often look over and what we miss in this is that Gideon obeyed in spite of his fear. Even though he was afraid of what his family would say. Even though he was afraid of the people in the town, he obeyed. So step one, obedience accomplished. Some little issues, but he did it. All right? and then things go from what you could call bad, worried about his family, to worse. And not only do I have to take out the Midianites, now the Midianites decide to make friends with a whole bunch of other people, and now the Midianite army is grown, and they come on the attack. That, which leads us to Gideon's second act of obedience. <clears throat> Sorry. So what's, what's he do? Midian's army is now... Grown tremendously, they're on the attack, so Gideon calls an army, he summons an army and people come. He summons the army to go against the, the combined forces of Midian, Amalek, and the, the people of the East. So huge army against him, he gathers an army, and we come to the part of the story that, that Gideon is probably the most famous for, he questions God, he tests God. What's he do? He's got the army gathered, the enemy's over there, and what's he do? Maybe he forgets that God commissioned him. Maybe he forgets that God did a miracle in front of him. Maybe he forgets all that, but he takes a fleece and he lays it out and says, God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prove yourself to me again. I want you to show me that I'm doing what you're wanting me to do i to pick up this story in, in verse 36 of chapter 6. Gideon says to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promise, prove it to me in this way. I'll put out a wool fleece in the th- on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promise." And this is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. So the fleece wasn't just damp. It was soaked and the ground around it. God proved himself to Gideon. All right? We, we think of the nerve of Gideon, right? Maybe he's not as, as fearful as, as we make him out to be because he's, he's got the nerve to stand up before God and say, Hey, can you just prove yourself to me again? Uh, and sets out this test for God, but God answers him, and answers him convincingly. So, what do you do when God answers you convincingly? You do it again. All right, and he says, "Well, God." And, and, and look at his 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 response to God, verse thirty nine. Gideon said to God, "Please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request." Let's do this again, but in reverse. This time I want the ground soaked, but the fleece dry. I, what do you do in, when, in, if you're in God's shoes and somebody just keeps questioning you, and you keep proving yourself to them, they keep questioning you? Eventually you get tired and you get fed up. But again, God answers him. God proves himself again to Gideon. Answers the test. And look at Gideon's response. After God confirms it, he goes. He obeys. As you look at chapter 7, verse 1. Gideon and his army got up early and went. Right, there it is. I, I, I questioned God. I question him again. But as soon as he answers, Gideon obeys. Again, his faith is demonstrated in his obedience. Yes, he questioned. Yes, he was reluctant. But when it came down to it, Gideon obeyed God. So then we're set up for Gideon's third act of obedience. Third step of obedience. He goes and he's got his army of people. And what does God say? Your army is a little bit too big. All right? just what you want to hear So chapter 7 verse 2 says the Lord said to Gideon you have too many warriors with you If I let all of you fight the Midianites the Israelites will boast to me that they save themselves by their own strength Therefore tell the people whoever's uh, timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home so God tells him to do it does Gideon he, he obeys he tells the the, the army We've got 32,000 troops here. Hey, if you're scared or a little bit worried, go ahead and go home. And they listened. 20,000 people just walked away. He's left with 10,000. Facing the big, scary Midianite army. And over half of his army walks away. But God does it again. Verse 4. The Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring. And he sorts them out by how they drink out of the stream and, and sends another <laughs> chunk home. So what, what is Gideon left with? 300 guys. But in all of that, as God whittled his army down, as God thinned the army down, Gideon didn't question God. He just obeyed. When God told him to do something, he did it. And we see Gideon's obedience. So from 32,000 to 10,000, from 10,000 down to 300. Let me, let me tell you something. It, it takes some faith to let 31,700 soldiers walk. Right? Especially when you were facing, as you read later on the story, the Midianite horde was 120,000 people. Okay? They were already outnumbered. Okay, so a little bit of perspective for you, since most of us aren't regularly involved in wars like this. All right, it started out as four to one odds for Gideon. And then as God thinned down his army, it shrunk to about a quarter of one percent. All right, so for those of you who aren't math people, right, let's let's point this picture a different way. It started out... That the entire army intact, right, if I have all 32,000, I'm Gideon, right, for us to win this battle, it means that every single person in his army was going to have to win a four on one battle, right? So, four of you against me, it's, it's a manageable battle, right, except for the fact that that in order for us to win victory, that's going to have to happen 32,000 times. Okay? It could happen, but it's it's a little bit tricky, especially since the Israelite army are people who've been hiding in caves and hiding from the Midianites, and the Midianite horde are trained warriors. A little bit of disadvantage. But then then it gets worse, right? Because then after God thins it down again, you now have the 300. That means that each man in gideon 's army was going to have to win a four hundred to one battle That's more than probably double the people in this room versus me all right that's a, that's a lot harder mountain to overcome right and we're going to have to do that three hundred times in order to have victory so did it have, did it take faith for gideon to to let them all walk? Yes, did it take courage. For a guy who was fearful and didn't think he could lead an army to say, Oh, now I don't have an army to lead, but we're still going. Yes. But most importantly, did Gideon obey? Yes. And then in verse 7, God confirms this task that Gideon's facing. The Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send everyone else home. God confirmed it. Which leads us to to Gideon's final act of obedience. As we see his faith played out. So I'm going to read to you verses 9 through 11. In chapter 7. As God continues to tell him what to do. And that night the Lord said, get up. Go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you'll be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. Do you notice what happens here? As is, is, is Gideon's obeying, God says, okay, tonight's the night. I want you to go down to attack. But if you're afraid... Gideon didn't even have to ask for proof this time. God just gives it to him. Was he afraid? Yes. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind that Gideon was afraid. I've got this army of 300. We're going against 120,000. I'm afraid. And we know he's afraid because God says, if you're afraid, go do this. And Gideon did it. So he's confirmed that he was afraid. Uh, And when he gets down to the camp, he gets to the edge of the camp, he hears uh, this conversation between two of the Midianite soldiers. And one of the, the Midianite soldiers says, I had a dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, Your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. Do you imagine Gideon sitting there in the dark hearing that? First first response is like, wait, how do you know my name? I'm the guy hiding in the wine press that God picked out and now I'm leading this mighty army of 300 against this horde and, and we sneak down and overhear this dream and interpretation. But as he hears it, He gets the courage and he obeys and he goes back to his 300 and he divvies them up into groups of 100 each and they surround the camp. And he gives them their instructions. Let me read you this final battle. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled as far as to places away as Beth Shittah and near Zareth, and to the border of Abel, Mahola near Tabath. They obeyed. God did the work. Right? those three hundred men surrounded their camp. They broke their jars. They shouted. They blew their horns. They held their torches up, and they watched. And God did the work. Gideon's faithful. Steps of obedience led to the rescue of Israel as Midian was defeated by God. There's the story of Gideon, this reluctant leader who demonstrated his faith and obedience. And as I've read this and studied it and reflected on this story, trying to understand the faith of Gideon, I keep coming back to two things that stand out. Right? Because Gideon's faith wasn't perfect. He doubted. He was afraid. He questioned. And yet he demonstrated his faith in his obedience. And the two things that keep coming back to me is first off, God doesn't need us, but He chooses to use us. We see this clearly with Gideon. Right? Gideon, in the end, what did Gideon do? He shouted and stood there, and God destroyed Midian. God doesn't need us to accomplish his work. Gideon didn't have amazing leadership skills. He didn't have military prowess or even superhuman strength. Think about it. Gideon watched the victory, but God used him. And In reality, this story is repeated again and again and again throughout the Bible. God uses flawed people to do His will. Why? Because He loves us. And he wants, to be with, he wants us to be with Him. Right? That's the gospel that we preach. God loves us and He rescues us. Not because we have anything to offer Him. Not because we're, we have it all together. But in spite of our flaws, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our sin, God loves us. And just like the people of Israel, God sent a hero to rescue us. But unlike Gideon and his flawed faith, we were rescued when Jesus came down and went to the cross for us. To make us right with God, we have been rescued and set free by God so that we could be with him. And he chooses to use us. The second thing that I think comes out in this story is how kind God is to us. God is kind to us. He knows our weakness. He knows our fears. And he walks with us. In this story, God was so kind to Gideon. He knew from the start that Gideon was fearful and that Gideon would doubt him. And yet he chose him. And every time that Gideon doubted, every time that Gideon questioned God, God was patient with him. And proved himself again and again and again to Gideon. And Gideon learned that God was faithful. All right, here's, here's the quick recap. Gideon asked God and God proves himself. So Gideon obeys and God's faithful. Then again, Gideon asks God, and God proves himself, so Gideon obeys, and God is faithful. Then Gideon doesn't even ask, but God proves himself, and Gideon obeys, and God is faithful. Gideon grew to learn that God is trustworthy. And it's really easy to put your trust in something that you know is trustworthy. Last week, Pastor Matt used the example of faith as sitting down in a chair. All right. I have some experience with chairs and I know there are chairs I can trust in some that I can't. All right. And the, the chairs in this room I have sat on many times. I've climbed on them. I know I can trust them. I never doubt that I can sit in these chairs, but there are some people's houses when I go to them and they invite me to sit down. I'm very cautious because I've had some bad experiences with chairs in my past. All right. But all of that to say, when we know something is trustworthy, we can it's easy to put our trust in it. And what Gideon learned is that God is trustworthy. And when we place our faith and our trust in God, he doesn't let us down. There's no better place to put our trust. And so Gideon. And all of the rest of the heroes of the faith in chapter 11 are really just encouraging examples of people who put their faith in the only one who will never fail. And so as we look to them, as we look to get him, we can see, even when we doubt, even when we're fearful, we can obey. We can put our faith in God because He will never fail us. He will never let us down. And so as we close, I just want to ask you two questions for you to ponder. The first one is where are you putting your faith? Are you putting in your faith in something that might let you down? Are you putting your faith in in the things that you've accomplished, in your list of uh, your resume of righteousness? God's going to let me in. God's going to love me because look what I've done. Are you putting your faith in the fact that you know the right people or you are a good person or that in in something like that, those things are going to fail you. The only place to put your trust is in Jesus. So where's your faith? And secondly, how are you living out your faith? Gideon demonstrated his faith by obedience. Are you obeying? God has called us to follow Him. He gave us Gideon and all the heroes of the faith to demonstrate to us, to show us what it means to follow. Let's follow Him. You pray with me. Father, we thank You that You are faithful. We thank You that You will never leave us. You will never let us down. If our faith is in you, it is sure. And Jesus, we thank you that you love us. And that you choose to be in relationship with us even when we fail you. Even when we doubt and are afraid. Jesus, may we learn more and more to place our trust in you. May we learn like Gideon through obedience that you are faithful and you are good. Jesus, we love you. Amen.